the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Presentations and discussions with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, William Mogel. On the D.C. Circuit's decision in Iberdrola Renewables versus the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis Legal Podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. William A. Mogel focuses his practice on energy law. He has extensive experience with federal and state issues affecting the electric and natural gas industries. He regularly represents clients before FERC, state regulatory commissions, and courts. Mr. Mogal founded and currently serves as Editor-in-Chief Emeritus of the Energy Law Journal. He is also a director of the Foundation of the Energy Law Journal, a co-editor of Energy Law and Transactions, and the editor of Regulation of the Gas Industry, both published by LexisNexis Matthew Bender. He's also authored an Emerging Issues Analysis of the Iberdrola Renewables versus FERC case, also available from LexisNexis. Mr. Mogel, thank you very much for your time. I'm happy to uh, participate in this. Thank you. The D.C. Circuit recently issued, while not a lengthy decision, an important one involving the interstate transportation of natural gas. Mr. Mogel, what was the background and the importance of Iberdrola Renewables versus the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission? I think this is uh, an important case uh, for people who are focusing on the energy business, particularly the natural gas business, because it, it's a case that's, that really bridges the deregulated and regulated environment. As people who follow the industry know, several years ago, the interstate transportation of natural gas was deregulated and provided an opportunity for parties to enter into a range of different kinds of transactions, one of which was to enter into a negotiated rate for the transportation service as opposed to paying uh, what is known as the recourse or the tariff rate of a pipeline. And that was premised on really allowing parties that were sophisticated parties, clearly, an opportunity to negotiate favorable rates that were both favorable to the shipper and to the pipeline company. And many parties, um, uh, this really started about 96, took advantage of this and were very happy as shippers to be in a deregulated environment. And it also benefited the pipelines because they were able to sell capacity at rates that they were satisfied with. So parties felt very happy or very pleased that they had an opportunity to um, benefit from deregulation of the gas pipelines in, in, in terms of rates. This case is significant because the court is saying to the shipper, you made a deal, uh, and that deal provided in a contract for escalations of your negotiated rate, and it just so happens that the escalations over a period of time exceeded the tariff rate, and you frankly, you're stuck. You made a deal, and you're stuck. Uh, and this really reflects the court saying, you know, you a contract is a contract, and even in this deregulated environment, you make, to use a, uh, uh, I guess it's a metaphor, uh, you make your bed, now you have to lie in it. I think that's what this case is, is really about, and it's a signal to the people in the industry that you better really look at your contract and make sure it really reflects what you want 
over a period of time, and the talisman of a negotiated rate isn't the end-all and doesn't guarantee the lowest possible rate. There are occasions, are there not, when the FERC does review rates, right? Yes. Pipeline rates are reviewed under really two sections of the Natural Gas Act, uh, and I uh, discussed in the case commentary briefly, but one is under Section 4 of the Natural Gas Act, which um, has a mechanism where the a pipeline would propose a rate, and then the FERC reviews the proposal and determines that the proposed rate is or is not, quote, just and reasonable, which is a statutory criteria. And uh, often the commission, FERC, suspends the rate when it's initially filed for a five-month period and then allows the rate to go into effect subject to refund if it hasn't completed its just and reasonable review. That's how Section 4 works. Section 5 is a little bit different. That deals with rates that are already in effect and permits either the commission or parties to challenge uh, those those rates on the grounds that they have possibly because of changed circumstances not become just and reasonable. And the process at FERC would be similar to the review process under Section 4, except that there's no refund opportunity. In other words, whatever the Commission ultimately determines in a Section 5 proceeding is effective prospectively, and parties who challenge are not entitled to refunds for the past period. It's a very big difference. Uh, currently, the Commission has uh, at least two proceedings, uh, Section 5 proceedings going on. They just terminated another one. And that's fairly rare to have a Section 5 proceeding in, in this day and, day and age, but it was a very common matter when pipelines were regulated as, as merchants. But in the Aberdrola case, there was no FERC review of the rates. FERC doesn't review negotiated rates. The parties are free to negotiate those rates, and then those rates are published in the, and the transactions are published in the tariff of the pipeline. FERC does review, however, or has the opportunity to review what we call the recourse or the regulated rate. And in the Iberdrola case, uh, they didn't review, review the, the regulated rate uh, initially, and it became the effective regulated rate. What do you feel is, is the biggest issue uh, in, this, in this case? Well, I think the big issue is understanding and I know that parties do, but having an understanding and an awareness that all the skills we developed in law school as lawyers of contracting are still out there and still important because in Iberdrola, there was an escalation provision in the original contract. Uh, Iberdrola, by the way, was the as, as an assignee, so they were not the original contracting party. A provision that it would escalate uh, based upon rate changes or cost increases of the pipeline. And I think it was not in anyone's contemplation, and this is me guessing, mm -hmm. that the negotiated rate would ever increase above the regulated rate. Otherwise, why negotiate a rate? And that's what happened. And that would not be uncommon today to see these the escalations in negotiated rates. And parties have to be careful in drafting contracts to ensure that that situation, if you're a shipper, doesn't occur and that your rate is what you believe it to be. I think that's what's really important here. But it, it's really, Iberdrola is interesting to me because it's a case that straddles the regulated versus the deregulated environment. Yeah, and didn't uh, Iberdrola attempt to argue that the contract was ambiguous? I, I think they did. Um, and as I said, they, they were in a little bit of a difficult position uh, as a matter of 
argument here because they didn't negotiate the original contract. They were they were stuck with what their Asinor um, had negotiated, and they made several arguments. One of them also was interesting, is, uh, and the court didn't seem to really deal with this as well as I think it could have, is when Ibadrola said, well, uh, how do we know what the cost is going to be if it continues to escalate? There's no basis, there's no objective basis to have these rates, see if these rates are indeed fair and consistent with the contract. And the court really didn't want to deal with it. They basically said, well, the, the, the tariff specifies the rate, and, and that's what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's no real measure, how would a shipper effectively challenge a rate increase? I mean, I think they can challenge it on uh, uh, putting aside the contract for a minute right. and responding to your, I think it's a good question. They could argue that the rate is, uh, is not cost-based. The ne- their negotiated rate has escalated. It's not cost-based. And that would, I think, get some traction. They would argue that it's uh, higher than the just and reasonable rate. And ergo, it can't be a just and reasonable rate, and it can't be a rate that should be approved. Uh, and then lastly, um, the way the process works, their negotiated rates are published. The pipelines publish them in their tariff, and they also have an electronic bulletin board system, so parties can see what other negotiated rates are. And so there, there is a way to develop a basis to challenge it on uh, what other parties are paying, what the tariff is, is providing, and lastly, what pipelines costs are for providing that service. And that specificity is critical, I imagine. And and didn't the defendant in this case have a lot of specifics included in the language at issue? Yes. The uh, the pipeline company uh, was very clear, I thought, in, in the contract. And as I said earlier, Ibadrola sort of got stuck with its uh, contract that it didn't negotiate. But still, the legal issues are there. And I think the lesson for the people who are shippers and pipelines is pretty clear from Ibadrola. So this case does illuminate issues in the gas transportation business. Well, I, I think it's, it's something I've sort of said in different ways already. It, it illuminates it because parties today, which are you know large, sophisticated shippers, spend most of their time negotiating contracts today for negotiated rates. And they know what the tariff rate is, and the parties attempt to negotiate a lower rate or a different rate or a different rate methodology than the tariff rate with the pipeline. And the pipelines are all for that because they want to increase throughput. These generally are large shippers of large volumes, and the pipelines want to incent their business. And so this process is ongoing, and it's part of a large contract negotiation process between the pipeline and a shipper. How does this decision affect attorneys practicing in this area? What should they take away from this case? Well, I think it affects them like any teaching, from a, uh, especially from a court of appeals, that uh, don't forget your contract law education in, in doing it. And merely saying you have a negotiated rate doesn't mean you necessarily have the lowest possible rate. And I think it also indicates to operating folks who are in this business um, that even though we are in a deregulated environment, some of the principles of regulation are still applicable. Are there any remaining challenges to this deregulation? Deregulation of the pipeline industry has gone on for, for quite, a, quite a while. And there are various challenges, and, and the Section 5 proceedings that I alluded to that are currently, two of which I believe are currently pending before FERC, which challenge the recovery of costs by the pipeline for past periods are certainly out there, and there are certainly uh, challenges in this deregulated environment. Um, people are very creative in this business, 
shippers, producers, etc. And there are always going to be new issues that are, are going to be, uh, the industry is going to be facing. But I think we're pretty, uh, you know, particularly if we have competition among pipelines, uh, what the impact of negotiating rates is. And even today, uh, some of the pipelines are in very strong positions and it makes it a little bit more difficult to negotiate terms and conditions, including rates with some of those uh, pipelines. So there always will be challenges. There will always be creative opportunities where issues then arise from something that may not be fully anticipated or may be unique. And uh, um, I, I think it requires parties from, on both sides of transactions to um, be open with each other and have contract language that takes care of, um, if they can, circumstances that may not be immediately foreseen when the contract is entered into. Just curious, did this case go any further? I haven't researched. I don't think it did. Um, I, I don't think it, I think, I, I don't think the Supreme Court dealt with it. Though they did deal with a case earlier in the year that's in my case commentary where they uh, indicated that under some circumstances, uh, public interest considerations, the rates could be modified uh, after the fact. Any final thoughts on the uh, Iberdrola case? As I said, I think at the outset, I think it's an interesting case. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a brief opinion by the court, but I think it deals with a lot of uh, key issues that people are looking at. And I think the message is, even in a deregulated environment, regulation and contract law is still something that parties must uh, be aware of and, and understand. I think it's a good point and a good place to wrap up. Mr. Mogal, thank you very much for your time and your thoughts on uh, on these issues and on the details of the Iberdrola case. Thanks very much for being part of this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Happy to do it. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you very much for listening to the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast, copyright 2010, by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. Visit the Emerging Issues Law community and all our communities at www.lexisnexus.com community. LexisNexus, total practice solutions. This is Steve Burstler. Thanks for listening.